Speaking of no ordinary man, our senior minister, if you're visiting with us or uh, didn't know, he had surgery a couple weeks ago, and we had a ch- I had a chance to go see him Tuesday. He is uh, recovering well, and he looks really good and was almost ready to take on the world without walking with a, a walker or a cane, so he looked really well. So, And I also know that he appreciates all your prayers, but continue to pray for him as he recovers. And with that, let's pray, and we'll get started. Father God in heaven, God, thank you for this opportunity this morning to come and, and hear your word. And God, I pray this morning that we can hear your word, um, maybe just in a light we've never heard it before. May we see it in just a, in a new way, and in a way that will speak to us. Uh, God, may our hearts and our minds be open to what you have to teach us. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever seen someone walk into a room, and immediately the conversation stops, and all eyes turn to that person? Have you ever been around a person whose commanding presence is so strong that immediately you're just drawn to them as soon as you see them? It has been said that when he was alive, Nelson Mandela, when he would walk into a room, had that kind of presence. It has been said that when he, that, that when she was alive, Mother Teresa, she would walk into a room and the room would immediately fall silent. I, of course, have never met Abraham Lincoln. I wonder what it would have been like, though, with his stature and his imposing figure, as he would have walked into a room how people would have reacted. If you've ever served in the military, you you learn very early on, there are some officers like the commanders and, and the captains that just being in their very presence, they get respected. A commander or a captain walks into a room and immediately someone yells, attention on deck! And the whole room stands at attention. And everyone turns their eyes to that person and listens to what they have to say. I believe that's the the kind of effect Jesus had on people. When He entered their towns, when He entered their homes, when He entered their presence. Even though He was a child of of a humble carpenter from Nazareth, Jesus was no ordinary person. He was special. One of the unique things about Jesus was the way that He taught people about God. Can you imagine the contrast there was? You see the Jewish people, uh, they, they used to go into the synagogues and the rabbis would just speak to them and teach to them and, and read out of the scrolls, out of the first five books of the Old Testament. They would just read to them. And it was kind of boring. And they would read it over and over and over again. They would read things from like Leviticus 19.26 which says, Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or speak or seek spirit spiritists, for you will be for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Stand up in the presence of the age, show respect for the elderly, and, ser- and and revere your God. I am the Lord. Honor your associate minister. Oh wait, that's 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 not in there. <laughs> But can you, can you imagine every week you go and, and the rabbis, they read this stuff and they just get up and they read it time after time, week after week, day after day. It could get rather boring. 
Jesus shows up and tells parables, though, and stories that relate to their lives. There's a story about that in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus and his disciples, they get into a boat. You see the crowds had already started gathering around Jesus, and he had to get away from the shore though, so, they could, so they could hear him speak, and so he had room to speak, and so they take their boat out a little ways. And you have to understand, this is an agricultural area around the seas of Galilee. And so most of these people are farmers and, and fishermen. And at this point, Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't whip out a scroll or, or, open, or open it, but he, he starts talking to them instead. And instead, he says, let me tell you about a farmer that went out to, to sow some seed. And well, there's probably some farmers in the crowd and they're saying, hey, he's, he's talking about me. Jesus says a farmer went out and scattered some seed. Some fell along the path and it was hard. It wouldn't, st- it wouldn't start and the birds ate it. And the farmer's like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that happens to me. That happens to my crop. He said some of the seed fell along the rocky places where it took root, but it wasn't very thick soil. And when the sun came, they lost everything. And the farmer said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's happened to me. Some, he said, fell in good soil, but it's, but, it's, but it's there with the weeds and the thorns and they'll, they'll outgrow the seed when it grows up into the weeds and choke, and choke the seed out. And the farmer said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's happened to me too. And then some seed you have and you throw it and it lands in good soil and produces good, a good crop and the farmers say, yeah, I, I can relate to that. And then Jesus says, these soils are like the condition of your heart. And now the farmers are saying, whoa, this is different. We've never heard anybody teach like this. In fact, the scriptures say he taught with authority and was able to take the word and apply it to their lives. Jesus was unique in the way that he taught people about God. Another thing that was unique about God was the way he performed his miracles. His miracles proved that Jesus was no ordinary man. You see, the purpose of his miracles was 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 not for the people. The purpose of the miracles was to reveal more and more about who he was to people. Jesus, no ordinary man. And today I want to look at three of the miracles that I believe define his ministry. Miracle one, the healing, the healing of a paralyzed man. The, he- the healing of the paralyzed man reveals his position. This miracle, if you're following along with us, can be found in Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with us, we'll be reading from there in a moment. Everywhere Jesus went, people wanted to hear him because he was performing miracles. He was teaching. He was casting out demons. He was drawing a crowd everywhere he went. And so he arrives one day at the the, the edge of of the Sea of Galilee. It's at Peter's house. It's in a little town called Capernaum. And he's there and, and he goes to this house and it's packed and there's people everywhere and there's, there's just standing room only and, and they can't get in. The story says four men came up bringing their paralyzed friend to be healed by Jesus Christ. And by this point they have cut a hole in the roof and, and lowered him down in front of Jesus. And notice what happens. Mark 2.5 says this, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, Your sins are forgiven. Put yourself in the paralyzed man's shoes for a moment. What do you think he thought when he heard that? Dude, this stinks. 
I didn't get, come here to get my sins forgiven. Are you kidding me? I came here to be healed. And if we're not careful today, we believe the greatest miracles are physical healing, but the greatest miracles ever performed by Jesus was not physical healing, it was forgiveness. Forgiveness meets the greatest need every time. The greatest need we ever have is to have our guilt removed. Forgiveness costs the greatest price. It costs the shed blood of Jesus Christ who gave His life for us on the cross. And it brings the greatest blessing because forgiveness is, is all about restoration. It's all about making all things new. And maybe today, in your life, you need a miracle of forgiveness. Maybe, maybe today you need a fresh start. Maybe you need someone to, to wipe away your past pain. Jesus can do that. And maybe you say, I, I need a new beginning. And then look what happens next, beginning in Mark 2, 6. It says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth and to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, walk, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Jesus looked at the man and saw his need, but he, but he looked around and saw the crowd, and saw that the crowd was, was sprinkled with all these religious leaders sitting among them, and that they came there, and they were critics, and they were there to spy on him. They didn't have open hearts and open minds. They had critical hearts and closed minds. They wanted to catch them in blasphemy. And when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and, re, and, the, religious, and the religious leaders go, aha, uh-huh, we caught you. Only God can forgive sin. And what Jesus says is, was rock their theological world. He says, yes, I'm not only the Son of God, I am God. But, but wait a minute. How do you know if somebody can forgive sin. Because I can stand up here and say, you today, your sins are forgiven. Now believe me, I, I can't do that. A, a priest can't do that either. Only Jesus himself can forgive sin. But if somebody were to, to walk up to you today and say, your sins are forgiven, how would you know if they had all the, all the power in the world to do that? Well, Jesus backed up his claim to be the Son of God. By telling the paralytic man to take up his mat, walk out of here, and go home. You're healed. So he backed up his claim by also healing the man with paralysis. The first miracle reveals his position as the Son of God. The second miracle is where Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Calming the storm reveals his power. And this story, if you're following along, is, is found in Mark chapter 4. Jesus is, is on the Sea of Galilee. And because the way that the mountains come down in, into the sea uh, and, and, from, and from the valley and, and into the lake, uh, they would have these fierce winds. And it would be, it would, it, it's not uncommon for these sudden storms just to pop up on the, on the sea. 
So again, Jesus gets into a boat because the crowds of people, again, were just so overwhelming. And he gets into the boat to go to the other side of the lake. And by this time, Jesus has already done many miracles. He's already taught the disciples who he was about the word and about the good news of Jesus. And now he's going to give them a practical test to see how much they really have retained at this point, to see what they've learned. Mark 4.35, that day, that, when evening came, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They, they took him along just as he was in their boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in, the, was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. When Jesus is trying to teach here is, listen, you've followed me around. You've heard my teaching. You know the truth. You've seen my miracles. But what's the purpose of hearing God's word when we hear it? The purpose is when we come to hear the word of God is to produce faith. And what is happening here is our faith must be tested before it can be trusted. That's true in everything in life. In your marriage, in your relationship with your kids. In your, relationships with, in your relationship with God, your faith must be tested before it can be trusted. It's not enough to come to church each, each week and learn a biblical truth. It's not enough to memorize John 3.16 or the Ten Commandments. You've got to be able to practice the lessons of faith that you learn. How do you do that? You've got to go through some storms in life. The lesson for us in this is that Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life. Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life. Tell the person you're sitting to right next to you right now that Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life. Go ahead to the person next to you. Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life. Right? That's awesome. That's an amazing truth. So I ask you right now, what storms are you going through? What storms are you going through that you need to put your trust into God? Is it a broken relationship? Is it a, an addiction you're, you're struggling to overcome? Is it that you're out of work and, and out of money and you wonder where the next money is going to come from? Is it an illness? What storms are you going through that you need to put your trust into God? There are three things the disciples should have, should have learned that they, could have, that, they could be, that they could be to calm in the midst of their storms. Three things from the disciples. They had the promises that they were going to the they had the promise they were going to the other side. Jesus said, Jesus said to them, Get out of the boat, we're going to the other side. He never told them it would be a smooth sailing, right? He never ever said that. He said, We're gonna get there. They had the promise that they would arrive. The disciples should have known that. Secondly, they had his presence. Jesus was in the boat with them. What did they have to fear? It's obvious they didn't understand yet in the teachings. They had his promise. They had his presence. But they also could see, they could also see that, that he was at peace. The disciples had peace. They had his peace. There's a storm, 
There's a storm. The disciples are scared for, for their lives. And Jesus is sleeping on a cushion on the stern. They should have given them, they should have given them encouragement to relax, settle down. It's going to be all right. If we're not careful now, though, often we, we are like the disciples in the storms of life. Lord, how come you don't care about what I'm going through? Of course he cares. We have the same, we have the same thing they have. We have his promises. We have his presence. We have the Holy Spirit and we have the peace that surpasses all understanding. Our greatest problems, our greatest problems are often not outside of us. Our problems are often within us. It is our doubt and fear. And we have a tough time trusting in God sometimes. That's why the disciples are like us. That's why Jesus rebuked them. You men of little faith, he said. They heard him teach. They saw the miracles, yet they still had little faith. And it was their little faith that caused them unbelief and their unbelief. Cause, cause them, cause, because for them, f- fear and fear made them question God. God, would you really take care of us? Little faith causes fear. Little faith causes us fear. That's why this is so important because we can all call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, but when the storms of life come, if our faith is small, we react like the like with people with no faith. They can't see the difference. They say, "What do you have that I don't have? What do you have that I need?" Little faith causes fear. So at this point the disciples have seen Jesus forgive sin. They've seen him perform miracles. They see that he has authority over nature, over, over the waves and the weather and the sea. And so they should have no reason to be afraid again because they, he, they knew that he was in control of every situation. The first miracle revealed his, his position as the Son of God. The second miracle reveals his power over the forces of nature. And the third miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, reveals his purpose. We read about this miracle, if you're following along, in Mark chapter 6. Jesus has sent his disciples over to minister to hurting and, and needing people. And the Bible says they returned kind of like for a progress report. So to say, Jesus wants to know how they're doing. How, how are they doing in their ministry? And he calls them all back. They've been out with the multitudes for some time, teaching and preaching just like Jesus had done. And now they've come back and they want to spend some time with Jesus. And look what happens. The people are once again surrounding Jesus. Just once again. They, they want a piece of Jesus. Mark 6.35 says this, by the, time it, by the time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said that would take more than a, a full year's wages. And, and we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat. You see the situation here? What is the disciples' response? How did they want to go about solving this problem? They didn't. They didn't want to solve the problem. The disciples said, Lord, these people are hungry. Jesus said, let's give them something to eat. And the, and the disciples said, why don't you send them away? Have them go call Pizza Hut for delivery. Jesus says, take an offering so they'll have enough money to buy the food. He said, no, you feed them. And the disciples say, are you crazy? 
That would take half my year's salary. I can't do that. No doubt the disciples are, are, are saying to each other, man, we are in the wrong place at the wrong time right now. I wish these people would just leave us alone so that we can go spend some time with Jesus. They say, it as, they say it as a problem, but Jesus looked at it as an opportunity to glorify God, and I, I love that. He saw this as an opportunity to teach them a lesson. And the lesson for you and me here and I is this, is this one, is that, is that we must see interruptions as opportunities too. I got to tell you, I struggled with this one myself. I'm, I'm preaching to myself on this one. If you're a person that's driven and you like to get things done, like me, I have my list every day and I like to go through my list and make sure I check everything off. Yep, I got this done, got this done. You, the last thing you want during your day is, a, is an unexpected interruption. Especially when you're in, in the middle of doing something. When you have your day all planned out and you're, you're, get, you're, point, on, you're, you're point on getting things done and all of a sudden you get an interruption and you're like, man, what's going on? This, this, this is not on my list. We have all kinds of interruptions that we've, we've got, that we've got to see as opportunities. You're sitting down after a long day at the office and you come home to eat dinner with your family and the phone rings and maybe it's a friend or maybe it's someone from your story group and they say, I lost my job. Can we talk tonight? And you're going, why don't you call me Wednesday? This Thursday, the, the NFL season starts tonight. I got to watch. I could have talked last night. But tonight, and your friend says, no, uh, we need to talk tonight. Could you come over now? Or maybe you're at work, and a coworker asks you to, to go out to lunch, and you're having a good conversation, and all of a sudden they say, I'm struggling with my marriage. I think my spouse is going to leave me. What advice could you give me? And if you see that as an interruption, what do you say? Usually the Christian answer is, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you, which is usually code word for, hey, let me get out of here as quick as I possibly can. I don't have time to deal with this now. We often use that as a cop-out to help people. I'll, I'll pray for you. Or maybe you're standing in line at Starbucks or Target or wherever you like to shop and you're, you're trying to wake up in the morning and you turn to the person next to you and you say, hey man, how's your morning going? And they say, not very good. I just found out my son or my daughter's been using drugs, and you go, this stinks. I'm going to be late for work. <laughs> you go out to get the mail from your mailbox at the end of the driveway, and a neighbor sees you, and they come over, and, and you say, hey, how are things going? And they say, not very good. I just found out my mom has cancer. Interruptions. It's interesting as you read through all of Jesus' all the Gospels, Almost all of Jesus' ministry was interruptions. He didn't have a daily agenda all planned out. He just started walking along and saying, God, use me. Use me wherever I go, God. His interruptions became some of the most incredible opportunities to make a difference in people's lives. Interruptions are such... This is a tough one for me. And so this past year, I've made it a point I, I try to schedule in interruptions. And, and it's, it's tough for me, if, if you know me. And I want to ask you, maybe starting this month, or, or to, to do the same. I want you to schedule in interruptions in your schedule. 
When you look at your daily calendar, would you schedule in some time for interruptions? Allow God to use you. Schedule time for interruptions so that when your day does have some space and and you pray and then a person walks into your office and they say, can we talk? You're not going to be angry at them or angry at God and you'll say, thank you, God, because I blocked out a chance for for you to use me to minister to someone else. We must see interruptions as opportunities. So what happens next? Jesus had all the people sit down in groups. They found Andrew with some loaves of bread and some fish. And then, and then this happens. Mark 6, 41 through 44. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave, then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men they had eaten, that had eaten was 5,000. Where's the miracle here? I think the miracle is in Jesus' hands. Five loaves, two fish to feed 5,000 men. He looks into heaven and says, God, God, help me here. And he blessed it and he broke it. And he continued to do that. He blessed it and he broke it. And he continued to do that until all the men were fed. The miracle is not in the distribution. It's in the hands of Jesus. And this morning, I want you to understand, no matter what you have, it may be no more than than five loaves and, and two fish, but it's your act of faith And when you place it in in, in his hands, God will bless it and multiply it, whatever you give to him. The purpose of this miracle was not to just to feed a bunch of people. It was to show that Jesus was, in fact, the bread of life because big crowds were following Jesus everywhere he went. He could feed them. Big crowds were with him when he was doing everything for them. And time and time again, as these people were following him, he would say, if you're going to follow me, it's not what I can give to you, but you're going to have to sacrifice everything to me. And the crowds would leave in droves. The issue is not that he's the ordinary bread. The issue is that he was the bread of life. There's many people today that can help us and give us bread and and help us in tough times, right? But there's only one person that can give you life, and that's Jesus. Does this story sound familiar to you? We've, we've been reading through the story this past year. First in the Old Testament, now we've just started the New Testament. And, and all throughout the story, we see God's people. And he continues to say to them, you shall have no other gods before me. You, you should only worship me only. And we see those same people wanted to worship God, but they also wanted to, to worship other gods of, of uh, other pagan gods around them. And every time they did that, they suffered the consequences, right? We read that in the Old Testament. Every time they suffered consequences. We're a lot like that. We want to worship God. But our problem is that, is that we tend to want to worship God along with a bunch of other gods in our life, right? We like to worship the God of wealth, of status, of fame, and power. If you want God's blessing, it can't be God plus all this other stuff in your life. It's got to be God only. You shall have no other gods before me. 
Jesus didn't perform miracles just to meet human needs. He wanted each miracle to reveal more and more about who he really was and the purpose for him coming to earth. And for the most part, the people were amazed by his miracles. They appreciated the help that he had given them. But so often they failed to get the spiritual message Jesus was trying to teach. They wanted the gift without the giver. They wanted the healing without the healer. They wanted the physical blessing without the spiritual blessing. And they failed to see that he was more than just an ordinary man. Church, we dare not make the same mistake. We get so enamored today by celebrities in our culture. We listen to every word they say. We watch every move they make. And I believe most of, a, most of it is a waste of time and money and energy. Today's movie stars, today's athletes, today's rock stars, today's politicians, today's rich and famous are simply ordinary people. They cannot, give, they cannot forgive your sin. They cannot find solution for your problem. They cannot give you hope for the future. Only an extraordinary person can do that, and his name was Jesus Christ. And so we need to start giving him our energy and our time and our devotion. What's the takeaway today? These, th- these three things that Jesus can do for you because he's no ordinary man. He's an extraordinary man. He's the only Son of God. Three things. First of all, Jesus can forgive your past sin. What part of your past is painful? If you have a painful past, immediately you know because you can feel it in the pit of your stomach. What part of your past is painful? He can replace your hurt with healing. What part of your past keeps dragging you down day after day? Every day you wake up, you want to get for you want to get you want to get going, but it's one step forward and two steps back. He can replace your guilt with His grace. Jesus can forgive your past sin. Second, Jesus can calm your present storms. What are you afraid of? What are you still trying to control that you can't release to God? What are you stressed out about? What are you worried about? He can replace your, your pressure with his peace. And third, Jesus can meet all your future needs. What's keeping you from going to the next level spiritually at church? What's keeping you from, from being the person God truly wants you to be? Often it's the obstacles we find ourselves Often it's the obstacles we find and sometimes our obstacles can be replaced with opportunities. I'm seeing more and more of opportunities and, you, and, I, need, and I need to know sometime, sometimes right next door, but if you don't know the people where you live, you never know that there's opportunities there. All this reminds me of, a, of the Wizard of Oz where Dorothy and the boys, they stumble up to a wizard a giant smoke-breathing machine of a thing that controls Oz with a deep, intimidating voice. But Toto the dog discovers a man behind the curtain and reveals the con to everybody. The wizard is just a man. The wizard still has the power over Oz, though, and he helps each person discover who they truly are. He gives the lion a medal of courage and the scarecrow a, a diploma in thinkology. The tin man gets a ticking watch to remind him a heart is more than just a beating piece of flesh. You see, if Toto never found the man behind the curtain, the characters would have never discovered who they really were. 
they would have never found their way home. If you want to live above an ordinary life, you must put your faith and hope in someone who redefines the word extraordinary, and his name is Jesus. It's only Jesus who can forgive your past sin. Only Jesus can calm your present storm, and only Jesus can meet your future needs. It's time to release control of your storms and struggles in your life to him. He can handle it. He knows what's best for you. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, God. Thank you for for the miracles that he performed during his ministry. Thank you for the lessons that he taught that he can calm our storms and he has a future for us. Thank you for his peace. God, thank you. Thank you that we can learn and grow from, from his ministry. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, each week, me and John, we always hear from people, man, during the invitation, I, I wish I went up. I wish I went up. I wish I, I went up to have someone pray with me. And this morning, I'm going to ask you not to have any regrets. This morning, if, if you're in a storm of life, maybe it was a stormy week. Maybe you had a stormy morning. Maybe this month has been a storm. Or maybe the year has been nothing but storms. If that's you during our time of invitation, I know our, our elders are here, I'm here, we want to pray with you during that time. Maybe for you, you're, you're like, I, I want to know this Jesus. The, you heard the miracles. He's, he's no ordinary man. Jesus can give you new life. We'd love to baptize you into, into waters of, of new life. And, and I'll do it in my clothes. I don't care. That'd be awesome. We'll baptize you today. Or maybe you're looking for a new church home. You want to serve with a church that, that works in the community and, and, loves, and loves people. And if that's you during our time of invitation, I want to encourage you to come forward as we sing this next song. Amen. I couldn't think of a, a better song to end with than that. But now it's time to go. And as you remember, go, go knowing that Jesus can only, only Jesus can forgive your sin. He can calm your present storm and he can meet your future needs. Starting this week, allow God to use the interruptions in your life to help a family member, a neighbor, a co-worker, a classmate. I believe if you do this, you'll be able to live a life with no regrets. You see, when our time is done on this earth, no one will remember all the crazy hours you worked at your job. The one thing they will remember though, was how much you loved and how much you showed people love. But you can't do that if you get angry and annoying at the interruptions. Have a great week.